welcome to Here With Me, Maggie John, a podcast about life stories and lessons learned that asks the question, what got you to the place you find yourself in at this point in your life? What's your relationship with therapy? Do you find it daunting, maybe something for everyone else, but not for you? Or are you one that can't live without your therapist, someone to help you process all that you've endured? Well, today's guest has a few things to say about this topic. He is a worship leader, author, and member of a very well-known family. Anthony Evans is the oldest son to Dr. Tony Evans, world-renowned preacher and pastor. But Anthony has carved out his own path throughout the years as a sought-after singer in his own right. He recently partnered with his therapist to write a new book, When Faith Meets Therapy. Find hope and a practical path to emotional, spiritual, and relational healing. I had the privilege of being the first to sit down with Anthony to discuss this new book. So looking forward to you hearing a part of our chat. And Roxanne Francis and a special guest, Colleen Blake Miller, both psychotherapists, will join me later for Black Girl Chat this month. All right, let's get into today's episode. Anthony Evans, thank you for joining us here. Hey, hey, glad to be here, Maggie. Glad to be here. Now, we love to start our podcast off asking the question, where are you right now? Be it spiritually, uh, psychologically, physically, where do you sit in this space that you're in right now? And I know that you're on a crazy concert schedule as well. So that might be an interesting answer that you you give me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, that's a broad question, but I'll try to answer it here specifically and, and concisely at the same yeah. time. Um, I'm at a place right now of I, I am at a, my default, thanks to a bunch of work, is a place of peace, which is mm. so beautiful to do the work that it takes to be at a, like where I'm defaulted is a place of peace. But right now I'm being challenged in the area of maintaining that peace. Like yeah. there, there are moments where it's, everything's chill, everything's relaxed, um, which is which is great, but right now there are certain things that are pulling me to where I'm having to dig my heels in, remember, I'm having to, to do things other than just kind of chill in this place of peace. I'm having to work to maintain and keep it. So that's um, relationally, I'm, I'm there specifically with certain friendships I have to uh, navigate and kind of make sure that we're good because I, I um, am very strategic now about who I let sit in the front row of my life. Yeah. And Also, I'm very strategic about walking up to somebody who's in the front row and being disruptive and telling them to get out the front row. Mm -hmm. So that's not fun. You don't want to have to do that, but I'm not, I'm not afraid to do that. Like I used to be. (laughs) So it's, I'm in that place right now, but I'm, I'm um, working to maintain peace and working to stay in character, stay in the character that that God's wants me to be in right now. You know, it's interesting you say that, Anthony, because I think we're around the same age and I feel like you get to a certain place where it's like you don't have a lot of time, (laughs) you don't have a lot of energy. And so you want to make sure that you're very strategic about who you share that with and who you spend time with. I I find that personally that I've my and I've said this before on my podcast, the group of people that I hang out with has gotten smaller, but -hmm. it's more intentional. And so you can have those deep conversations and you can trust and you're not navigating all that stuff that you did when you were younger and you had time and energy and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. There just comes a point where it's not that you don't, it's, it's an issue of time. Like I don't have the the capacity 
to manage as much. Yeah. And what I what I do realize also getting older is that I'll go back to the whole front row seat of my life. If there's mm-hmm. somebody, I used to be scared that if I told somebody to get out of the seat in the front row of my life, that nobody would come and fill that seat. Mm-hmm. As, as you get older and time goes on, when you realize that if I was a Broadway actor and somebody was being disruptive in the front row, they would be asked to be quiet. Then they'd be asked to move. Then if they still weren't quiet from their seat in the back, they'd be asked to leave. Right. I used to be afraid to ask people to be quiet in the front row people who were pulling me out of character by, by being noisy in my life. I used to be yeah. afraid to ask them to move, afraid to ask them to be quiet. And what I realized as I get older is when you ask them to move, there is somebody willing that that wants to sit in that seat, that wants to see nothing but you be in, yeah. in the character that God's chosen for you to be in. You just can't be afraid of getting rid of that person because they can't come sit on the person who's there's lap. They have to, yes. that has to be cleared. So as you get older and as you take the uh, take the steps to feeling what it feels like to, oh, there are people who want to fill this seat, it becomes easier to be patient, but to also be like, no nonsense, get up. Like yeah. I, it's, I have too much going on. I have, I have a character that I have a role that I need to be playing right now and you're pulling me out of character. So get yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. And also that you want to be in the front seat of their lives as well, Absolutely. I think is so important yeah. as well. Absolutely. Loved, love the book, When Faith Meets Therapy, Find Hope and a Practical Path to Emotional, Spiritual and Relational Healing. And you wrote this with your counselor, Stacey Kaiser. Was it hard writing this, Anthony, and and being vulnerable the way that you are? And, you know, even your analogy of the front row is a perfect analogy analogy that you use in the book. Was that challenging? Um, You know what? This book was written after six years of being in therapy with Stacey. So it did not feel hard. I mean, it's always hard to, to get all those thoughts down. I'm the most not scholastic. I don't want to write papers. I didn't want to write 10 page papers in college, much less a 250 page paper. But so that part of it's hard. But um, I just wanted to write from an honest place because I realized what it did to me. I wrote the book that I wish I would have had when I was dealing with anxiety and depression and preacher's kid and ministry and all that stuff. I wanted to write that for people like me who are in the midst in the midst of the struggle. So it wasn't hard when I thought about the people who I wanted to write the book for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't that hard. And then also the synergy I have with Stacy, you know, her being my actual therapist in real life, which was a lot of red tape we had to go through because therapists aren't supposed to be talking in public <laughs> with yeah. their clients, you know what I mean? But uh, it, it wasn't hard when I thought about the, the goal that I had in mind. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't easy, but it, Well, and at the beginning, you and I appreciate you talk about just really the stigma around therapy within, I think, this Christian circle. Like, you know, I've I have a a really great therapist and have had a number of therapists in my life. But I just I I know that when you say that as a Christian, some people are just like, well, isn't Jesus enough? You know, and and you allude to that in the book. So just even being opening open and saying, yeah, I'm going to write this with my therapist, I feel is just allowing people to the freedom to be able to talk about that, which is important. Absolutely. I, I do not, I don't even understand why there would ever be a stigma around therapy. A stigma around therapy to me is like having a stigma around tutoring for somebody who's not mm. good at math. And I opened the book talking about that. Yeah. I was not good at math. I had my hand up every five seconds in algebra class in the ninth grade. I, I remember my teacher like the like it was yesterday. Mm. There came a point where although I had a book of truths full of equations that all equal an answer, period. Like this is what they equal. There's no variables. It's, this is how you do it. I got lost in the steps. The equation, the book of truths was there. The equation was there and equals X, whatever was there. 
I could not figure out how to do it. So I had to get to the point where I admitted to myself that it is okay to need tutoring to pass. Mm-hmm. I needed therapy as tutoring to pass as related to my faith. Reading, don't be anxious for or be anxious for nothing. That was not enough for me. Mm-hmm. I needed tutoring on how not to be anxious because of the way that I'm built. This book is tutoring for those of us who can read a Bible verse but have an issue working out that equation in our daily lives. Yeah. Yeah, just need somebody to walk alongside. I mean, that's what I found with, with my counselor. You you allow us to peek into a really tough time in your life. Mm-hmm. You were going through depression. You you talk about feeling like a fraud for a while, uh, being named after your famed father, mm-hmm. and yet feeling like you could never fill his shoes. But also just acknowledging that you're built differently that you're an emotional guy and and that's how God has created you and just feeling exhausted. And, and I love the story that you share just really quickly of your pastor friend in Nashville saying, at this rate, you're going to fall apart, Anthony. You need to get your act together. Mm-hmm. Take us back to that point, Anthony, and what, what you were going through. I was, I, I liken it to to playing injured. Like if I had a, mm-hmm. if I was a champion basketball player and I had a sprained ankle, it would not be it would not be beneficial to me to tape up that ankle and play injured but that's what i was doing i knew i could still score with a sprained ankle and nobody only a few people actually at that point maybe two people in my life would see me limp after a game after a game they would barely see me walking through life and then they'd watch me tape up again and go in there and sing the songs and do the worship and he was he was talking to that guy he was talking to the guy that is hurt that is taping up the ankle and not actually doing, not actually going pause Time out. I'm not playing right now. I'm going to get healed. I'm going to go to, th- I'm going to go to, in that case, physical therapy, but, but emotional and spiritual and mental therapy. And I'm going to get back where I'm playing healthy because playing injured means at some point, it's not going to just be a sprained ankle. You're going to blow your ankle out and you're going to be out of the game for good. So that's what, that's the place that I was at. And so I had to realize Somewhere along the lines, I started to, somewhere along the line, I started to believe that playing injured was what we're supposed to do. Nobody taught mm. me that. There's something about ministry and faith and doing, like you're supposed to be worn out. You're supposed to be doing too much. You're supposed to not be, you're supposed to be almost not taking care of yourself. No. And so I had to get to a point where I was like, you know what, before this is a career ending injury, let me go ahead and, and sit, the, sit this out. And the Evans family is filled with, stars <laughs> you included anthony i mean so you know you have your your sisters your brother your parents um and so how much did just having these superstars around you as well feel like i need to continue to just pull up my bootstraps and continue to pretend that everything's okay i think that that could be the case i mean very much so when you see me the way me and my dad are built very different he is unbothered by, by mm. most things. He's just unbothered. So I saw that and was like, uh, I guess if I guess if I'm Michael Jordan's son, I'm supposed to be Michael mm. Jordan Jr. and play just as good as he does and be able to do exactly what he does. And that's just not the case. <clears throat> our, our My heritage is beautiful and I'm so grateful for it. But it, it also, if me holding myself to an, a standard of living up to that without being healthy would ultimately destroy me. So yeah. I love that, you know, our family's full of stars, but... But no, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm at the place where I don't, I am not moved by that. I am moved by, am I full? Am I healthy? And am I doing what I'm called to do from a healthy place? Not from a place of, I know how to play the game injured. Yeah. 
whether yeah. my dad's Tony Evans or not. I'm not, I'm, yeah. And I think a lot of Christians, I think we continue to play that role and it doesn't do any favors for other Christians, but it doesn't do any favors for non-Christians because I feel like, you know, when my, my non-Christian friends are watching, they're like, well, you know, is, is everything supposed to always be perfect? Because my life's not going to be perfect. And so we're almost setting people up for disaster and for being let down because we paint this idea of, oh, you meet Jesus and everything's going to be great. And then all of a sudden you let somebody in and they see that things aren't that great. And they're like, but I thought everything was supposed to be perfect. So we're not actually being good testimonies of a true life lived in Jesus, are we? No, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. That, that's not, um, I'm trying to think of the, yes, I just, I just completely agree with you. God doesn't yeah. need our help in painting a pretty picture. Yeah. And actually, when you give him the canvas of who you are, as is, he can make that mess into a miracle. He doesn't need our help trying to be like, oh, well, let, let, me, help, let me help you get this together real quick. No, that, that's, not, that's not what he needs. He needs me to just be, be and let him do what he does best, which is take our messes somehow and make them into miracles. But I agree with you very much so. And I also believe that non-Christians in a lot of ways, my, my experience in LA has taught me that non-Christians are really good at smelling a rat. I think yes. people are in general, but my non-Christian friends come into the Christian thoughts with me and they're like, they're right. looking for something to be off. So they're, you know, so they, they can, they can smell a rat really easily. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that, you share candidly that, you know, you lost eight family members, in, including your beautiful mom, Lois, yeah. as well as your grandmother. Describe the pain as well as you describe so beautifully, Anthony, the healing as well and the peace yeah. that came through that as well as, as you, your whole family lived through this publicly. I mean, Sorry. that's okay. Keep going. This life is life is busy, <laughs> life is busy. Oh but God. you were living through this publicly. People were watching and praying for your mother, um, and I know many in Canada as well were praying as well through much. through that. Yeah, it was horrific, horrible. Don't want to ever. I mean, nope. I wanted God to do what He said He could do, which is heal my mother. But yeah. what I never thought about was maybe His yes to her healing is she's going to be with me, hmm. like. And to have, uh, there is something, and we talk about this in the book, there is something about foundational hope that is another level and that you don't experience until you get shaken all the way. You don't know how good the anchor works until the waves hit that boat and it doesn't move. Mm. I did not know how solid my anchor was until what I went through. And, it, and I don't want to go through it again. Don't, mm. don't get me wrong. Mm. I don't ever want to experience that again. But what I do know is that my faith was stronger than I thought. My mother's faith was on 50. She was she was more concerned with the she's she's going to radiation and handing out tracts to make sure that the people who are going through it along with her know Jesus. I'm like, you are dealing with a death sentence these people just gave you. These doctors don't know what they're talking about and you're trying to make sure other people in radiation know who Jesus is. So if you can do that, I'm not going to sit here and be broken up and torn all apart and that be the end. I'm going to be hopeful in spite of what I'm facing. Now, that doesn't erase the pain, doesn't erase the hurt, doesn't erase the fact that I want my mom right here, right now. I want her sitting next to me in this interview. Right. But because God chose not to do that, I was shaken to a place of foundational hope that I did not even know that I had. 
Mm-hmm. And we talk about that in the book also, that mm-hmm. hope is is the essence of taking the next step. You may not have 50 all steps, all the steps mapped out in front of you, but hope is the the gives you the, the wherewithal to take that one next step. And that one next step will not only lead to, in most cases, your deliverance, it'll lead to the deliverance of everybody who's with you and around you because you were faithful enough to just take that one step um, that was rooted in hope. Yeah, sometimes we don't realize the strength that God gives us through really hard times until unfortunately we're in in those times. You talk about three steps to cultivate hope in your life. And you talk about take a moment to think about your hopes and dreams, join a group and make a hope jar. Describe these to me. See, now those 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 are more Stacy's, but <laughs> Do you not agree with I your do. counselor's I, I suggestions? Do. I, do agree with I know when you were saying that, I was like, Ooh, that's Stacey though. I do agree because I've done all those things. Yeah. I believe that being surrounded by people, I have curated this group of my, I call them my chosen family mm. that have really, I don't even, it's, every time I talk about them, I get emotional because I cannot tell you, but the book is dedicated to my chosen family. Six individuals that I have a good, good amount of friends, but these people have fostered hope. Mm-hmm. It's having the team around you being like, you got it, you got it, you got it, right before you do something, some skill that you think you don't have. And they're like, no, you got it. And every time I want to let go, I hear their you got it to my ear and I hold on tighter. Mm-hmm. That is what happened with me and, and my people that I cannot, I cannot talk about them without feeling it in my heart because I... My worth, I held on to my worth because of them. Mm. That, that was super huge for me. And then keeping track, the hope jar, I think Stacey, when she talks about that is, is keeping track of the things like the, 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 little, the, little, um, the little things along the way. Yeah. Sometimes we hope for this healing, but we're not hoping just to get through this next step. We're not hoping to just be able to have this honest conversation with somebody. We're not hoping to just get out of bed today and take take steps toward that kind of hope. When you start, when you see yourself making those kind of strides, it helps you be consistent toward the actual hope that we are all looking for, the, the hope for ultimate healing. And I feel like doing something as practical like that, Anthony, also reminds us when we're in that deep space, when we're in that dark space, that there is hope because we all go through that. And sometimes we forget about what God has led us through, what God has brought us through. And so I love the idea of having a hope jar because it's just this reminder that he is there, that he is faithful, that he can, especially in those times of hard grief or suffering that we all will go through. Absolutely. We all will go through it. I wish we didn't have to, but that's that's what's going to be. That's just, just part of what it is. Yeah. Our, and our memory, unfortunately, can be too short in that. Yeah. You talk about own it and then change it. Before remodeling my life, I had to work my behaviors, my thoughts, and the responsibility of for making change. Talk about the responsibility that you learned through through counseling, of that we can control some aspects of this, and we can make um, conscious decisions on how our life rolls out by by uh, determining those next steps. Yeah, in, in the book, the Own It and Change It chapter starts with me talking about um, how I like to remodel homes. And I yeah. can walk into any home. I just love it. I don't know why I like it. I watch too much HGTV. I watch I, HGTV all the time too, so I'm <laughs> guilty. Yeah. So I love to go into homes and talk about all the things I want to do. And oh, I would change this. I would knock that out. I would do this. 
But the one thing you have to do before you can start knocking down walls is you have to do the work that it takes to take ownership of that home. You don't yeah. walk into a home and just start knocking down walls. You have to go through the process. Sometimes it's a painful, painstaking process to get all the paperwork together, to sign this, to prove this, to, to, to take ownership. But that is the only way that you can actually start making change mm -hmm. to make it a place that you actually want to live in. And a lot of us don't want to take ownership of our what we've been through, whether it be abuse or bad relationships. We don't want to take ownership of what that did to me and where I need to go from, from this place of taking ownership of this is where I'm starting. And I'm also dreaming about what it can be, but I have to take ownership of where I am right now. Yeah. That is the first step to actually making changes that, that last and that will, will, will stay is taking ownership and loving yourself as is, even though you want things to change, loving the, the bones, loving the structure of what is there, knowing that you can put in the work to change it. That is step one. Yeah. In that same chapter, Stacy talks about negative talk and mm -hmm. negative self-talk. Yeah. Did you ever struggle with that? Was that something that you had to deal with? And how yeah. did you, how, how do you handle that? That narrative? Well, I, got, I had to get out of a habit of just saying crazy stuff that I wasn't even realizing I was saying. Mm. Like, uh, one, I apologize all the time unnecessarily. And people were like, what are you apologizing for? There was something mm. in me that felt like I needed to apologize for me, period. Not, mm. not for an action, not for a word, not for, it was like, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. And it's like, what are you doing? What, why, what about you makes you feel like you need to just apologize for your presence? Mm. So it was... I had to, that was what I had to deal with. I had to get to the point where it's like, there's no need to apologize. People want you here. They appreciate your presence. I mean, I had to go through all that. You have to talk yourself out of habits that may have been instilled in you because your voice wasn't heard growing up and you don't feel like you matter. Or certain things you say to yourself when you look in the mirror that are just gross things to be, that you would not say to anybody. We talk to ourselves in ways that we would never talk to anybody or we wouldn't actually put up with hearing somebody talk to somebody the way that we talk to ourselves. Yeah. So that has to change. That narrative has to change because there's so much power in words. Yeah. Period. Yeah. 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 You've learned uh, so much through counseling. And again, I love that you've shared that with us. What yeah. What's the one thing that you feel like um, you ultimately want people to take away from this experience that you've had that you have shared through therapy and faith? The one thing that I would want people to take away is that I think the, the main thing is that although it may seem insurmountable, some of the things that we have to work through, I am a firm believer because of experience. When you do what you can, God will do what you can't. I talk mm -hmm. about scene out of the Lion King in the book where Simba is, is, is um, I, like in the little death, not little death valley, like in this death valley and he's trying to roar and scare these hyenas and he rears back and it's like a meow, basically. Like he... He does what he can. It's, it's like, it doesn't, it's not going to scare anything that this little cub is not going to scare anybody. Then he takes one more breath and it was like this thunderous roar came out of him that scared everybody. Everybody, all the hyenas ran off and then the camera pans back and it shows Mufasa over Simba seeing his effort and deciding to add his roar to Simba's roar, which mm. did the job. Mm. That would have never happened if Simba wasn't trying. Yeah. His dad stood over him and did what he could not because of the effort that he did. I believe that every person reading this book, listening to this podcast, there is some, there is an innate lesson that we all need to learn. When we do what we can't, and although our roar to us is a meow, when we do what we can, God 
his voice will reverberate and do the work that we are, we cannot do on our mm, own. That's so good. That's so good. In the book, you talk about your anger and uh, the difference between anger and, um, oh, what do you say? Righteous anger. And, right. Yes. Yeah. And, but also sadness. This is what I loved. You talked about sadness being disguised as anger as yeah. well. And I love that Stacy challenged you and asked you what God would say and feel about your anger. Because you, you kind of you, you can kind of yeah. get a little heated at times, Anthony, yeah. which was kind of a surprise because you seem like such a happy guy every time I, I see am. you. I am, unless <laughs> I feel devalued. If I feel devalued mm. or emasculated or disrespected, I don't rage out, but I will all of a sudden flip into a whole different person. It's like, uh-oh, because I do not do well with that. And that's yeah. childhood stuff that I still have to work through. I don't like feeling like I don't matter. Yeah. There's a, we have a problem. If you, if you, if I, you know, if it happens randomly, that's fine. But if somebody yeah. like intentionally trying to make me feel like I don't matter, it's not, it's not, it's not cute. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. So I'm, and that's just me being real. Yeah. I appreciate that. What was the question again? I'm like telling these people all my business. Uh, anger disguise. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, about anger disguised as uh, sadness and, and how you learned how to kind of wade through that, how Stacy was able to help you with that. Yeah, I had to get to a point where I was like, what is the real issue? Mm. This, this scenario should not make you this mad. If I walked up to you and tapped your shoulder in that Toronto Raptors shirt, if I tapped yeah. your shoulder and you had a cut under your shirt, your response would be way bigger than what a tap on the shoulder should should get. Like I would tap you and you'd be like, oh, why'd you do that? And I'd be like, whoa, 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 what was that about? It's about there being a cut that you can't see under my shirt. Like you can't see that. There's a cut there. So what I've had to realize is that I have to make it known to myself, to those around me and to others. There's a cut here. And I need to deal with that because hurt is what's under here. The anger that you just saw was because I'm hurting under what you can see. Mm -hmm. So that is what I had to deal with is, Anthony, why are your responses that big? What are you sad about? What are you hurt about? What? Because the, the, normally anger is the easy emotion to go to because it mm -hmm. makes you kind of look big and tough. But I would say, in the case of me, I don't want to speak on behalf of everybody. In most cases, there is another emotion under anger and anger is the disguise to the disguise we present because it makes people go, oh, don't mess with him. Yeah. Yeah, that's tears, good. tears don't do that. But the tears are better for you to get those out so the anger subsides and you don't get yourself in trouble by being reactive instead of responsive. So how have you worked on that? I have had to identify what the issue is, roll up mm. the sleeve, see that there's a cut there, treat the cut, put a bandage on the cut, tell people about the cut. Mm. That Telling is people about the cut, that's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And in this day and age, I think authenticity is coming kind of yeah. to the surface more and people are striving for that. But in faith world, we don't believe in telling people about the cut. Yeah. No, no. It's, tell them. It helps them. It helps you. It helps them realize they're not the only one cut and helps you stop getting hit on the shoulder every five minutes by somebody just trying to say hi to you. And it makes you flip out. <laughs> How have you seen relationship, your relationships change by telling people about the cut? Yeah. My relationships are the kind now that make me cry when I talk about yeah. it. Yeah. That's 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 the best way to explain it. I have yeah. never been so fulfilled in my relationships 
than experiencing people who not only see the cut and go, oh my gosh, we didn't know that was there, mm-hmm. but what can I do to help you heal? Mm-hmm. What? So you're telling me I don't have to be angry and and not only do I not have to be angry, you're actually going to help take care of me now? You're going to help mm-hmm. help me with this cut that I thought nobody cared about? Yeah. And so now I'm like, hey, here's another cut. Anybody, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> with my... With my close friends, that's what it's like now. And they feel yeah. the same way with me because yeah. it's an authentic, deep, connected relationship is that there's, yeah. there's, there's nothing, nothing like it. I, yeah, I have found that authenticity and just being honest, because I, I grew up in a household where you didn't tell anybody your business. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you just didn't share that with it. You kept it in your family circle and that was it. And you suffered in pain and that was it. And I remember the first time of just like being authentic with somebody and not being afraid because trust is my big issue, not being afraid that that person was going to break my trust. And it was revolutionary. It was absolutely and freeing, freeing that I didn't have to carry it alone. So free. And you have to be thoughtful and careful and make sure you're not dealing with people who are shady and all that stuff. So it's not like go tell your business to everybody, but- Once you find trustworthy sources, it's it is it is exactly what you just said. It's yeah. freeing, freeing beyond belief. You uh, in in this chapter about feeling your pain to heal it, kind of on on those lines. You talk about just the freedom of being able to cry and letting yourself cry. Yeah. Yeah. How healing that can be. And you even tell the beautiful story of I think your first visit with Stacy, just crying on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the, the, just the therapeutic nature of being able to allow just all of the emotions flow. I liken that to if I, I have a clean house. I like my house clean, mm-hmm. but there is a room that used to exist at my house where it didn't matter if it was clean. It's just where junk goes. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where that room was so full that it started to overflow outside of that room. Like it was like, mm, messes are starting to appear everywhere because that room has too much crap in it. Sorry, yeah. it has too much stuff in it. It's like, that, that's, that's not okay. going to work. I know, you know, I don't know what kind of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, crap is okay. Okay, nice. okay good. So uh, crying is getting, is, is opening the door to that room and taking that stuff out and letting it get out of there. Like getting rid of the stuff you don't need and organizing the stuff that you do still want and, and need. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not, you know, there are people listening to this, like crying. What? I have a friend who cannot cry. Like we'll try and can't because mm. there's so much in there. It's like, I don't even want to open the door. Wow. Like, if I, I will sit I and mean, he, he will try and it does not work because wow. it's like, if I open this door, what is going to fall out of this room? Yeah. But I think there comes a point where that's like your, your, your body's way of releasing emotions that need to get out. Yeah. You were never meant to be a storage closet for a bunch of emo- emotional junk. Like. And for me, talking about it, crying if those emotions come, that is getting that stuff out so you can have a canvas to work. I mean, a, a room to work on that isn't full of trash. Yeah. That's what that is for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so freeing to be able yeah. to do that. I want us to end with the chapter on recognizing toxic people. We kind of talked about it at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> want to delve it into it a little bit more mm-hmm. because again, we've talked about all the inner stuff and dealing with all of that, but then that means also clearing out the outer stuff and making sure that the, the relationships that you're in are healthy 
how do you uh how do you anthony evans identify toxic people in your life are you i'll go back to what i said at the beginning Mm -hmm. or is your presence in my life pulling me out of character Mm. is it harder for me to be who god made me to be with you in my life Mm. are you disrupting or are you disruptive i don't mean just like a regular just are you disruptive in general or that is how that 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 that's how and i watch how they handle other people i just i just it's just that's the blanket statement. There's, there's a bunch yeah, of different yeah. variables, but are you pulling me out of character? You say in the book, what you permit is what you teach. Yep. My mom is from Trinidad and she yeah. has an old saying that, that goes, a dog knows what tree to climb. And yeah. basically a dog knows exactly where it's permitted, right? Yes. Yeah. And so it will go where it's permitted. And I, so when I read that, I thought, yeah, that's kind of like what my mom would say. Yeah. You know, like you teach people how they will treat you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you literally do. And so there comes a point where even, I mean, I'm in a position right now where I, I let people know we're not, I'm not doing that. Like you, you can, yeah. you can do you, but you can also get out like of my life doing you. Like I don't, I don't. And there, there are some people who will change with that and be like, oh man, I didn't realize that. And I want to grow and I want to, you know, let, let, let's talk about it. But then there are some people who will say, you know what? Oh my gosh, I really got to work on that. But they have so much stuff going on inside of them that they mm-hmm. still just return to disrupting you. Like they're just noisy. That's just what they are. Yeah. And so it's finding that, it's finding this balance of knowing when to tell them to be quiet and then when to tell them to move and then when to tell them to get out. And mm-hmm. that's all subjective. It's how much of your character are you getting pulled out of? And then can you concentrate with this person making noise in your life? Yeah. Most of the time when you're dealing with life and, 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 and um, occupations and family and all that stuff, you can't deal with much noise because it's just, I can't deal with more. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how, that, that's, that's a broad stroke of how you identify toxic people. And then there's more steps and because I'm a people pleaser, I want people, everybody to be okay. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. But there comes a point where I'm not going to allow my feelings to be hurt so yours are preserved. Yeah, yeah. Not, not Near the end of the book, you have seven keys to healthy relationships. Respect, loyalty, and trust make you feel like a priority. You talk about that. Mm-hmm. Loving and caring gestures. The other person's happiness and comfort should be equal to your own. So good. Mm-hmm. Good communication and maintain a sense of positivity. As we're wrapping up, what is the one the one key out of the seven that you feel like you want to hone in and, and and leave us with that's so important to a healthy relationship? Oh my goodness. You, you keep asking for these one thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Give us five more hours next time, Anthony, and we'll go through all of them. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> in my case, because yeah. I like everybody around me to really make sure I want to make sure everybody's good. And sometimes it, it came out of I had to get work on the codependent side of me that was overdoing it. But I think if I have the time to make you feel like you matter and you're valuable, like on a, on just a surface level, I'm, I'm wildly busy. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm like, if I have the time to do that, I don't need you to bend over backward to make me feel like, but, but if you're not doing anything, if you're not doing Mm -hmm. this, then, then that to me is a really big issue. That to yeah. me is like, because I'm, I'm writing a book and out on a tour right. and you, and you 
like you don't have any, you don't have anything. So that to me kind of shows like, oh, that's who you are. You just don't, you just don't do that. And I don't need, again, I don't, I'm not, I don't need a lot. But if I feel like if there's ever a moment where I do need something, you may not be there. Mm. Then you are going to not sit on the front row. Yeah. You know, that, that, that to me is a huge one. And, and, the, and that to me is the biggest one as it relates to healthy relationships is making sure I have people who are going to be there when the lights fade and when the microphone's off and the buses are parked. Yeah. That's huge. And, and in an emergency, I think you talk about this somewhere in the book about just that person that at any point in your life that you can call and you know they're going to pick up the phone and you know that they're going to be there for you and the vice versa, you know that you're going to be there for that person as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. That yeah. that to me is, is huge. And yeah. it's a blessing when you can find one one person like that. Um, but but that's 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 huge, you know, yeah. especially with this life of moving around so much and all being all over the place, just to know that you have somebody, even if you don't need to call on them yeah. often. Well, my prayer is that that peace that you talked about continues, Anthony, and especially as you're on tour, you uh, came through Toronto and we absolutely loved uh, seeing you and Maverick City and Kirk Franklin in our city. And thank you again for writing this book. Again, it's called One, When Faith Meets Therapy, Find Hope and a Practical Path to Emotional, Spiritual and Relational Healing. And again, you wrote that with uh, Stacey Kaiser. Thank you, Anthony Evans, for your time today. Thank you very much for your time. And just so you know, you are the first official interview that I have done. For ah, love it. The wave is all, it's starting very, it's starting in a couple of days, but you're the first one. So I just That's want you to awesome. know that you, you hold that spot. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the honor. Thank you so much for your time. All right, it's time for Black Girl Chat, and Roxanne Francis is joining me, and we have a special guest we both love. Colleen Blake Miller is in the house joining us today on Black Girl Chat. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Maggie. Hey, hey nice to see you, Roxanne. Colleen, so good to be here, and Maggie. Maggie. I, uh... As we, as I was thinking about this episode and the fact that I was sitting down with Anthony, I thought, who better to bring into this conversation but two psychotherapists <laughs> who are amazing in their own right and consider sister friends and love them so much. And so, um, you know, this conversation is really with Anthony it was really about how to embrace therapy, especially in the world of faith, and we are all women of faith. Do you find it hard? And maybe I'll start with you, Colleen. Um, do you find it hard mm -hmm. still in the faith community, and then on top of that, the Black community, to have conversations about the importance of faith and therapy? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that the pandemic really has assisted this dialogue because the older generation, I would say, would have been the toughest to work with. Um, uh, but after we all navigated the, the pandemic, I think we as collectively as a, as a faith community acknowledged the, the weight um, that it has been on our emotional and spiritual well-being. And folks have become more open to therapy, more open to using the language to say mental health, you know? And um, although we, we don't appreciate having to navigate through the pandemic, I appreciate that that brought us to this place for sure. Yeah. 
How about you, Roxanne? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, prior to the pandemic, there was still a lot of people who were very closed off to the idea, uh, particularly in uh, traditional faith-based spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, too, p- folks would think, uh, what my experience was that, my experience was that people who uh, embraced therapy were people of the younger generation. And I find, you know, my mom is in her 70s, and I find that, you know, herself as well as her friends, they are now talking about these things. One of her friends recently in her senior years was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And, Mm. um, you know, just navigating their circles and uh, people are in her age group are, are, are separating uh, they're having loved ones who are passing away and they're having to deal with that and having mm-hmm. recognizing that, you know, talking to my friends is okay, but I need someone to talk to about something deeper. Yeah. And um, I think as well in, in, in our community, we are beginning to realize finally that it is not enough to say, well, you're experiencing such and such because you don't have any faith. Yeah. Your faith isn't big enough. Mm. right or you need to pray harder or you Mm -hmm. need to fast i mean those things Mm -hmm. are important and um uh are 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 a way to move forward in terms of our our faith our faith walk but there's more to it than 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 just that and Mm -hmm. i think that in the same way that uh someone might have a physical diagnosis and they pray before they go into surgery Mm -hmm. right um but they do go into Mm -hmm. surgery Right. And so recognizing that, you know, we might need to pray before we go into therapy, but sometimes the therapy is, it's just as important. Right. And I think we still have a little bit of a ways to go, but I think that the, uh, I like to say therapy is trending, right. Um, for people who consume social media and many people do, um, there are so many more videos and memes and, uh, conversations being had, uh, in the, in the realm of the internet around taking care of your mental health that it just can't be ignored anymore the old um right. you know analogy of you know you wouldn't judge somebody if they had to wear glasses right, right. if their if their eyesight needs you know some correction mm-hmm. and they right. have to wear glasses to assist them uh you know and then put anything any illness or whatever you wouldn't judge people on that but yeah the also our you know our hearts our our mental health we all have to be careful and, and tend to that one thing that really stood out mm-hmm. for me and I, I'd love to hear I know some of you have heard, heard parts of the interview um, was Anthony talking about being careful who you surround yourself with um, and mm-hmm. allow giving permission to who gets to sit in the front seat and that just you know, I am a full subscriber to that. I, I amen that many, many times. We've talked about that on this show. But Colleen, talk to me about how important it is to be very careful about the circle that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the things that, you know, therapy can assist people with is is growing their self-awareness, being able to make sense of mm. the things that are shifting they may not have the language, you know, around, like they may not have the language to um, explain or justify um, or make sense of what is different in their life and um, having support to be able to 
um, make the adjustments around the boundaries. Like it's okay for you to have been close to people in the past and now in later years mm-hmm. or after certain situations need to adjust the boundary, you know, finding um, a safe space, a safe person who is disconnected, mm. who can support you to make sense of that and help you to um, just get settled in that. Because I, I vote for peace every time I am going to go with what is going to allow me to just be in peace, be at peace in my mind, in my heart, all around for sure. Yeah, I love that, that uh, analogy that he gave around the yeah. front seat of your of your life. Yes. Yeah. How about you, Roxanne? Yeah, I think it's um, it's so important. You know, they say we're a product of the people, the five people that we spend most of our time around, around mm. right? Mm. And so you have to ask yourself, who are the top five people who get my attention or who have my, whose ear mm. do I have, right? Who's pouring into your life mm-hmm. and what are they saying, right? How do you feel mm. when you leave someone's presence how do you feel when you're about to get into their presence right these are you know to colleen's point of about self-awareness we have to be aware of some of those pieces and so you know if i am thinking about going into entrepreneurship i'm not going to ask the person who spent their entire career working for a company Mm. right uh when Mm. i you know when i was getting into this work uh to work on my own i sought out Colleen's advice because she's doing it a few steps ahead of me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we really Mm -hmm. do have to be mindful around who we surround ourselves with. What's the energy that they're bringing into, into the space and to Colleen's point about peace, you know, when you are around certain people, do you feel peaceful? Mm. Right. Or has your peace left you? Right. And and those are the Mm. things that thing that Mm. that bit around (laughs) the peace leaving you, um, that, that nugget of stress, Right. Um, a lot of people don't talk about this, but but stress can be that kernel, that nugget where we end up with a lot of um, mental health concerns. And so really, you have to ask yourself, who are you spending your time with? Mm. And, you know, to his point, who's in the driver? Who's in that, that front seat with you? Yeah. Both of you have used it. Use this term at different times. Self-awareness. And that takes a lot of work. Not all of us are very self-aware of, you know, the way we process things or the way we react. Talk to me about how do you, is that a muscle that you can work on? How do you become more self-aware if you're not? It, it, it is a muscle. And the more you use it, the more, uh, the more aware you become. But one of the things that I talk about is, uh, how do you feel? Let's 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 look at that first. How do you feel in your body? How do you feel in your body when you know you get a phone? Your phone is ringing and you look at it and it's someone who's always gossiping. Hmm. How does how do you feel on the inside? Right. Um, I have a very close friend of mine. She's considering. Uh, she's been off work to take care of her health and she's been considering leaving her organization. And she got an email from them recently saying, Mm. let's discuss your return Mm. to work. And when she saw that email, she got a cramp in her Mm -hmm. stomach. And she said, huh, that is telling me that I don't really want to go back to work, right? And so it's about listening to some of those cues, paying attention. I was reading a book recently that talked about uh, oftentimes our bodies are screaming Mm. at us, Mm. but we, we spend so much time in our brains 
right? Yeah. Telling ourselves that we need mm-hmm. to complete this. We need to be around this person because of that. We need to stay in the job because of these reasons. But oftentimes when you're in certain situations, your body hurts, your shoulders are tense, you have these headaches. And we so often are quick to dismiss that. Take a pill and just keep moving. But really, if we spend that time to really pay attention to our bodies, we become we, we, we become really aware. You close your eyes, you put, have this sort of hand-to-heart moment and say, what is it that I really need? And, mm-hmm. and you, you can, you can uh, drop into that awareness piece and really pay attention to those cues. Colleen, I want to hear your thoughts, but I think this also plays into self-worth because what I'm hearing, Roxanne, when you think, you know, you're saying to yourself, okay, why am I feeling this way? That also comes from a place of saying, I am worth actually checking into mm-hmm. because I think as women, but I think men are also known for doing this too. Sometimes you're so worried about everybody else around you that you don't feel like it yeah, you might have those checks, but you don't think you're worthy of checking in or you just mm-hmm. ignore it because, you know, the kids have come first or all of these other things or the job, as you said. Um, so how do you, Colleen, if I add that layer on top of it, A, uh, believe that you are worth checking into and then, uh, yeah, just being mm-hmm. self-aware of how you're processing life? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going in the direction that I immediately thought of when you asked the question, which is we're so aware of others. We're so aware of the other, Mm -hmm. the, the, the pressures, the expectations. Um, We put so much value in the opinions, um, in the thoughts of other people, like what would um, they expect me to do? Or what would they think of me making these adjustments in my life? What would they think if they knew? And um, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just unfortunate, you know, that we are at a place where we are more aware of others than we would be of ourselves. And I agree, it comes down to value where we place our value, but it's possible to value the important people in our lives and the people who have set, you know, like, Um, they've kind of set the bar for us. It's possible to value them and also give consideration to what we think. It comes with um, maturity, but when it comes to like emotional intelligence, intelligence. It's not something you just naturally develop and grow in. You got to do it on purpose. And spaces like therapy, um, spaces like when you're working with uh, specific coaches, you can, you can gain that knowledge to be able to, Mm. to be able to do that, to be able to just even recognize. I think it, it always begins first with recognition and acknowledgement. I acknowledge that something's not working right. I acknowledge that I didn't even consider what I wanted to do in this situation. The first thing that came to my mind was what my mother or my father or my boss or the next person would think or want of me. Um, When you can utter those words from your mouth, well, then often the person is able to recognize, okay, that actually is not good. And then you're, Mm. you're maybe more uh, open to saying, okay, let me, let me learn some strategies for beginning to place value on my thoughts, like, and figure and figure that out. And it's a journey. It takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so much wisdom. I want to talk about something else that Anthony talked about, and that's protecting peace. And you kind of alluded to it in your first response, Colleen. Talk to me about how important males start with you, Roxanne. 
on protecting your peace. <laughs> because again, there is so much noise in the world and so many, and this, you know, falls in line with the self-awareness. Um, there's so much noise in the world and so many people that want to tell you a million things and have opinions about a million things, have opinions about you as well. Um, on top of that, how do you personally protect your own peace, Roxanne? Personally, as, as Roxanne, um, I protect my peace with um, some quiet time. Mm-hmm. Um with as as a woman of faith with some prayer and devotion time uh i protect my (laughs) this might not sound the greatest but sometimes i protect my peace after my kids go to bed yeah which is when i can have some stillness yeah if it's nice weather i'll sit out in the backyard alone a glass of water and i'll just Sit alone, right? <laughs> have some quiet time. Amen to the alone. Right? I protect my peace by um doing my best to set appropriate boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Back to the, the first thing that we were talking about, which is who has access to me. Yeah. Right? Mm. There are times when and no shade to other people, but there are times when my phone rings and it just has to go to voicemail. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was saying this earlier in the week that my availability doesn't mean that I have the capacity, right? So just yeah. because I yeah. have an hour or two in my day, it doesn't mean that I have the mental fortitude to mm-hmm. handle a certain situation in the moment, yes. right? And so um, I have to, there are certain phone calls that I take and I will say I've only got five minutes. Yeah. Right. Um, Mm. Just so that I can preserve parts of me because Mm. of the work that I do, I'm constantly pouring into people often. And there are times when I just have to be still and allow myself to recharge. And and, Mm. and that's how I protect my peace. I love that. My availability does not. What did you say? My availability does not mean that I have the capacity. Mean that I have the capacity. That's a good takeaway. I love that. Colleen, how about you? How do you protect your peace? Um, You know, okay, so again, just to clarify, setting boundaries isn't just saying no, okay? But Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a part of it. It's a part of it. And and being a recovering people pleaser, that's huge for me. It's still hard. Mm. Guys, I'm going to be 45 in a few months, and it's still hard for me to say no to the important people in my life. You know, people who Mm. you've grown up, Mm. you know, you know, having to listen to, Um, being a Mm -hmm. PK, being a church Mm -hmm. baby, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like honor your mother, your father, you know, the the elders in the church are kind of like all grouped in that category, saying no Mm -hmm. to, to, to serving uh, like there is yeah. sometimes, you know, you get looks, sometimes you get the comments, but if I am going to serve and know that I am, you know, my, my wellness is slowly being chipped away at, and I am not able to like show up fully for my family or for my, for my spouse, mm-hmm. um, or for myself, you know, I don't have time mm-hmm. to like have quiet time with God because I just, I'm falling asleep. You know what I'm saying? That I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. that it makes sense for us to reevaluate for, for me to reevaluate what's on the plate. And so I'm on a journey right now of, 
of, of fighting for peace. And it looks different, um, but I'm committed to it. And I know that God is there. Like that's where I find him is, is in the peace. He speaks about his peace, you know, being, you know, something that we cannot get from anywhere else, but him. Um, and it's okay to sacrifice the things that we have maybe, um, valued a lot in the past, or maybe other people value certain things. Okay. I, 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 let me give you an example. I recently went with my family Mm -hmm. to Jamaica and Mm -hmm. Sunday came around ladies and I was, they were trying to get me to preach at a church. I, I declined. I didn't even go to church that Sunday. You know what I did ladies? I spent the whole day on the beach by myself and it, you know, it took, it took, it took a lot out of me to say, you know, (laughs) mom and dad, don't look for me, but I did it and I did it. And you know something, it just needed to be done. And, um, you know, I, I, you can't encourage your clients to do things that you're not doing for yourself. And I needed that. And that, that memory will forever be something very special in my mind, you know, the entire day listening to the waves and just, just refueling Mm. me. Um, Those are the things that we have to, to say yes to in, in those times Mm -hmm. when we, when we need it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we're going to end there. I mean, for me, I think I don't want to be, you know, in my retirement age thinking, oh, I wish I had done Mm. instead of pleasing so-and-so. I wish I had said yes to this, or I wish I had said no to that, or I wish I want to be able to say I lived my life to the fullest in what I understood it to be at that time. Now, again, that changes as we get older, as we learn more, as we evolve as human beings. But at the end of the day, you know, I was saying to somebody recently, a, I want my kids to feel like their mother was present yes. and with them. That's right. And that's, right. that's a part of peace. I want my husband to feel that I was present and I was with him as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And I want to feel like I was present as well. And not to be not to be sitting my old age saying, well, at least I made so-and-so happy and I did that and <laughs> I did that. But sitting in so much doubt that I didn't. I didn't actually follow my heart, that I actually didn't think about my own peace and my family's mm-hmm. peace. And that is so hard to do in a world and in the professions that we are in, where we are demanded of in so many different ways and we could be pulled in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Ladies, you are so wise, and I am so grateful mm-hmm. to have sat at your we feet. All carry wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm so blessed to have you as friends. Thank you. And Colleen, thank you for being part of Black Girl Chat for the first time. We'll have you back again. Beautiful. Love you guys. Thank you for checking out here with me, Maggie John. I want to thank Anthony Evans, Roxanne Francis, and Colleen Blake Miller for joining me today. Check out our Instagram page, Here with Maggie, for more great content. We're all on a journey. Let's learn from each other. Please also subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode. A new episode drops the 19th of every month. Hope to see you here next time.